2: night owl live the show for pc users who can handle the truth and now here's your host gene steinberg this week on the tech night owl live we'll feature the return of bob dr mac who is self-publishing his first book we'll also hear from jeff gambit of the mac observer i don't know if he's self-published any books yet i have But that's not what this is about. This is the Tech Night Out Live. Ah! So, Bob, your book's coming out any hour now, right?
3: Uh, When's the show going? It's coming out on March 3rd, to the best of my knowledge.
2: Well, the the show's going to be heard on the 25th.
3: It'll be out in about a week, which means that you have one more week to um, avail yourself of the pre-shipping special, the pre-order deal. Uh, where you can save up to 20 dollars on a copy of the book. Just go to workingSmarterformacusers.com and pre-order. The
2: book is not 1995 where you give everybody a nickel, right?
3: No, the book is 29.95, and we're giving it to them for 1995. this week only well, last week and the week before, but I mean, it's going to end when it ships. So if you want to save 10 or more dollars, because there is a deluxe autograph copy that you can save up to 20 dollars because uh, it's twenty nine ninety nine, and it'll be 50 bucks when, when we go live, because there are limited editions.
2: Will they be numbered
3: editions? <laughs> yes, they will. There are 30 available at this moment.
2: It's not going to be like gold imprints and stuff like that.
3: No, they're, they're credit card-sized USB uh, thumb drives that have the cover art on one side and the autograph and number on the back. They're also an 8-gigabyte USB stick. I mean, you can erase the book once you've copied it to your hard drive and use it as a credit card sized USB stick. So there's a, you know, added bonus for ordering the autographed version. As far as I know, and and I don't know if this makes me a marketing legend or not, but I've never heard of anybody selling autographed eBooks before. I think I invented it. I can't say for positive, but I'm pretty sure I invented this as a marketing technique. Autographed eBooks. Yes, sir. See, here's the thing, Gene. I bought a bunch of these USB sticks. I bought a hundred of them to use for public relations. You know, I was going to send out review copies and I figured I can send you an email with a link to a download, but I'd rather you have something physical as a member of the press. I'd rather send you something physical because it's less likely to get lost and more likely to make an impression on you. So I bought 100 of these credit card things. Then I realized I don't know 100 people in the media. <laughs> I don't even know close to 100 people in the media. My press list is like 20 people, 25 people. So I have all these extra leftover USB things. So I decided when I, when I started the pre-sale, I'd try it. Much to my surprise, I really kind of did it as a joke, but much to my surprise, uh, about a third of the orders have been for the autographed deluxe version which really surprised the heck out of me. That's why I say, you know, maybe I'm a marketing genius. Maybe I'm a marketing guru now. We'll see. Well, don't really puff yourself
2: up here yet. Because that's really ammunition to get yourself, you know, knocked off the perch. Oh, I'm just learning something totally irrelevant to this, that Neil Diamond has announced his 50th anniversary tour. Who could have thunk this guy would be around so long and is so old? How old is he?
3: He's in his 70s. Hey, I'll be in my 70s soon. That's not that old. I could go on tour. I I went on tour. I just got back from Houston where I played at the, um, the beautiful Bel Air Civic Center to the audience of the Houston Apple Users Group. Hog, the Houston area Apple Users Group aka hog
2: let me amend that neil diamond is 76
3: all right that's kind of old not horribly old but certainly not too old to tour if i can still do it he can still do it right
2: sure well you know he looks this picture of him must be 10 years old because he looks like a guy in his 60s
3: well that's a trick we old people use (laughs) the picture was taken five years ago okay the Houston area Apple users group I discovered used a ten-year-old picture of me in their promotional effort because people were texting me and and writing to me and and posting on Facebook and stuff saying you look great, Bob. And I'm thinking, I don't really look great, you know. I look the same, and I'm not fishing for compliments. I, I couldn't understand what was going on, so I, I happened to look at their. Pr- promo page because I needed the URL and there's this 10 year old picture, which they also used on Facebook.
2: I do the same thing. So, you know, I'm pulling the same scam.
3: Well, I I took a new picture this year, uh, last year to go with the ebook. Cause all, all of my old headshots have me with like, uh, buzz cut short hair. And now I have luxurious flowing locks down to my shoulders. And I didn't want anybody to be confused and think that maybe I was a a conservative or something. Okay, no politics, sir. I I just want everybody to know I'm an aging hippie and proud of it.
2: So speaking of which, what is there about the book Working Smarter for Mac users that you could pitch our listeners on to buy a copy? Or buy a download?
3: Well, I think the key here is the book is aimed at helping you do more work in less time. That's the key feature. The takeaway is this book will save you as much as maybe 30 minutes a day. I mean, if you if you weren't doing anything I recommended before the book and you did everything just the way I pitched it in the book, I'm sure you could save up to 30 minutes a day. And then the other th- the other promise is I can show you how to, uh, if not eliminate procrastination, at least beat it down to uh, beat it into submission, move it to a more acceptable level, if not eliminate. And, and for many people, I think you can eliminate procrastination because the truth is, uh, once you know what it's all about and why you do it and what it looks like, uh, it's a lot easier to stop yourself before you fall down that rabbit hole. So I guess the, the sub-theme of the book is how to stay out of rabbit holes. Okay, and to avoid sounding like Bugs Money. Yes, well, you know, rabbit holes, the way I see it is anything that... uh sucks you away from the work you're supposed to be doing. So for some people that might be cat videos, uh, for some people it might be eBay or amazon.com or Facebook or Twitter or any one of a number of, uh, less tasteful websites. There's, there's so much on your computer that could become a rabbit hole. Um, sometimes it's hard not to be distracted, not to uh, see something shiny and lose a half hour chasing it. So I have some strategies and, and things to help people, you know, recognize when they've got work to do and that starts to happen. What ha- what used to happen to me was I just didn't know where where all the time was going. I thought I was at my desk really working, but I followed lots of rabbits down lots of rabbit holes. And at the end of the day, I realized I didn't have, I hadn't accomplished a full day of work by, you know, by, by quitting time. So my, my days used to run till 10, 11, 12 at night every day so I could get everything done. And then I started to track all of what I was doing and tr- tried to, you know, evaluate how much time I was spending doing this, that, and the other thing. And it turned out I was spending hours each day in rabbit holes that had nothing to do with uh, getting my work done. Yeah, I could argue and say, yeah, they were research some of them, um, but that's that's a lie. You know, I'm lying to myself. So it, it, it turns out it's not that hard, but you have to acknowledge that it's a problem, and you have to figure out what those rabbit holes are for you, so that you can you know be on guard not to fall down one when you're supposed to be doing a project that, you know, earns you your daily bread. Before we fall into a rabbit hole,
2: we've got this to present to you. Bob Levitas, Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de
3: slash gene.
5: Are you looking to become more self-sufficient? Then you need to have your own energy source. The Solark EMP Hardened Generator is automatic, maintenance-free, and reduces your monthly electric bill. You can also take it off-grid when you go camping. Contact PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875 today. Portable Solar LLC gives you everything you need to start using solar energy in less than one hour. Solark EMP Hardened Solar Generator Energy Insurance. For your family or business, call Portable Solar LLC today dangerous
6: blood clot device alert. If you or a loved one had an IVC filter placed to prevent blood clots from traveling to your heart or lungs and suffered an injury, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. The FDA warns that IVC filters may cause serious complications such as heart or lung damage, internal bleeding, and even death. These dangerous blood clot devices can break and the metal fragments can travel to your heart or lungs causing serious injuries. If you or a loved one Suffered organ damage or other injuries from an IVC filter, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Act now. Time is limited to file a claim. For a free consultation and free information, call Injury Help Desk at 800 478 1507. 800 478 1507. 800 478 1507. This is an advertisement. Paid non attorney spokesperson. Injuryhelpdesk.com is responsible for this advertisement. Principal Office, Las Vegas, Nevada.
2: Before we go back to Bob Levitis, let me tell you about the best way to support this show, and that is to become a member of Tech Nite Owl Plus. And if you go to plus p l u s dot dot com, you learn what to do to join up. You'll get a commercial-free version of this show, better quality audio, all for a low rate, starting at a dollar forty-nine a week. Our price cheap. Remember that phrase. Bob Levitis, our price, cheap.
3: (laughs) I think that was Mad Magazine, wasn't it?
2: It sure was. In fact, I think they're going to sue me right now. I'm hoping (laughs) that somebody will at least give me some attention.
3: (laughs) You know, uh, when we had the company NotHarvard.com was one of our marketing strategies, was, well, I hope they sue us. That would be great PR. NotHarvard.com. They didn't sue them. And and I had left the company, but their new strategy after they didn't get sued was they sued Harvard, which I thought was hysterical. It didn't get as much PR as they expected, I don't think, but it was kind of funny at the time. All right. So where were we, Gene?
2: Well, you see, this is the rabbit hole. You jumped into a rabbit hole and you found ways to avoid the rabbit hole and work smarter and basically get more work done.
3: In less time. In less time. You have more time for things you love.
2: Exactly. Now, a friend of mine who is also a very prolific writer, uh, Nick Redfern. Now, Nick Redfern has written probably dozens of books, as many as you have, maybe more, mostly focused on the paranormal. And what he does is he makes it into his day job. So he sets aside a certain amount of time every day. I'm going to work nine to five, whatever it is, you know, take my lunch break. And it's just like a regular job. I go into an office. Instead, I go into my home office and I write a book. And during that time I am writing and researching a book. Now that doesn't prevent a rabbit hole, but it is a way of organizing yourself, isn't it?
3: Oh, absolutely. And, and in fact, the more you can create a plan like that and stick to it, the better off you'll be. I really believe that when you look at your, if, when you look at your work time and you say, I need to accomplish this much work in this many hours And you map out how many hours it's going to take to do each of the things on the list for today. Then you have a really good uh, roadmap that, if you're honest with yourself, shows you what you could accomplish if you didn't go down any rabbit holes. And if you look at all the things that you have to do and you say, I could do all of that by 4 p.m., well, bravo. If you can finish all that by 4 p.m., then you can have the rest of the day to do anything you want. You know, that's the thing. It's I, I use a lot of carrot and stick. So the carrot is if I finish everything that needs to be done by 4 o'clock, I can do anything I want after 4 o'clock. The stick is if I don't finish by 4 o'clock, I have to stay and finish everything that's on the list for today before I can leave and do things that I want to do. So and you so- have
2: to basically listen to yourself and set guidelines. Now, one thing you mentioned before, and that is that you had an AD... HD problem.
3: Absolutely. Now, a lot of this stuff was designed for me or, or created by me uh, as as kind of a, a coping strategies. You know, when I first found out I had ADHD, I went to a bunch of group and individual therapy, read a lot of books, and finally came to realize that part of what makes me sane now is being organized. If if I can look at all the work that's ahead of me and know that I'm not drowning, that I'm not behind, that I'm not going to have to pull four or all-nighters to catch up. It just makes for a better life all, all around. I mean, I'm just not as frantic and sleep-deprived, and I have time for things that I like to do. Really, it, it can work for anybody unless you have 19 hours of work a day that you have to do. But most people, when they look at what they consider their work time, find there's a lot of uh, A lot of rabbit hole going on, you know, during those hours that are, quote, work.
2: Now, let me ask you here, were you officially diagnosed, or is this something you discovered for yourself?
3: It was both. I read a book called Driven to Distraction. I talk about all this in the introduction to the book, but yeah, I read a book called Driven to Distraction by a guy named Hallowell. It's kind of like the Bible for adult ADHD. A friend of mine said, you really ought to read this because I read it. And I think I might have it, but I know you do. So I read the book and sure enough, I don't like to call it disease. It's not, it's a, it's a condition and it's just everything I read about it made it sound like, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me. So I found a doctor that specializes in ADD here in Austin and I went and I got uh, assessed and after the assessment, I said, Hey, doctor, what's the story? Do I have it? And he, he looked at me and he goes, do you have it? are you kidding? You could be the poster child for adult ADHD. What does that mean? I had, I don't remember how many factors there were, but I had like, you know, 17 out of 20. Okay. So now some people take pills for this. Yes. Is that what you did? I have, I have taken medication and I believe in it. You know, here's what I've gotten out of everything I've read. My brain chemistry is different from other people's brain chemistry. People who don't have ADD uh, have lower levels of something that makes them less easily distracted. I'm like a pinball. Uh, without medication and therapy, without knowing that this is going on, I really can't stay on topic for more than a couple of minutes. I also can't sit still, which is terrible for a writer. You know, not being able to keep your butt in the chair is perhaps the worst thing that could possibly happen if you're a writer, because you can't write if you're not sitting in the chair in front of the keyboard. So I needed to learn a lot. I needed to retrain a lot of neural pathways. But over the time I was doing it, I, I, I realized a couple things. A, Apple makes it a lot easier for me to stay on top of all the things that need to be stayed up on top of, or that I need to stay on on top of, i.e. my calendar, all my appointments, alerts, being reminded of things. Um, I used to forget stuff all the time. Uh, You couldn't depend on me showing up at a meeting or at something we had agreed to do a week ago, unless you talked to me right before, because I just forgot. I didn't have a calendar system. And if you, I said, let's have lunch Tuesday Five minutes later, I forgot that we're having lunch Tuesday.
2: Okay, so, so having- what did you do this time? I invited you to appear on the Tech Night Out Live for a specific yes. recording session. Did you enter that in a calendar or set as up a reminder? As
3: it, yes, as soon as it came in, it went on my calendar at 10.30 this morning, which is what time we agreed upon. And it had an alert an hour before and an email four hours before. So when I woke up this morning, there was an email in my inbox reminding me that I had a, a Recording session at ten thirty, and then at nine thirty, an alert appeared on screen saying you have. Now I I probably should have put another one in at ten minutes before, in case I forgot in the hour since the first alert. But I was pretty sure I wouldn't. You know, part of it is I've gotten a lot better at this stuff. I don't need quite as many prompts and reminders as I used to. Um, But still, yeah, immediately after getting the email and agreeing, it went on my calendar. And I used to tell my family. If you don't see it go on my calendar, it doesn't exist in my world.
2: Speaking of worlds, we'll enter another world in our next segment with Bob Levitis on the Tech Night Out Live.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
9: Now's the time to refresh your home and save at Lumber Liquidators Spring Flooring Kickoff Sale. Our stores are packed with the latest spring trends, like modern, waterproof, wood-look flooring. It's up to 34% off, or choose from more than 200 styles of pre-finished hardwood from 149 Get deals on over 55 varieties of bamboo from 159 more from $0.59, and special financing. The Spring Flooring Kickoff Sale ends Tuesday. Visit LumberLiquidators.com to find a store near you today.
7: Get a 12, 36, or 48-month supply. Or get items individually and still save big. You're getting soap products twice as good as what you're using now. Earth-friendly and natural soaps. Your family deserves the best. Happiness is 5starsoap.com. Why not put your money up the drain for a change?
11: Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen next.
2: Okay, we're in another world right now. With Bob Levitus, who is in the 17th dimension. He's on Earth 35 or something like that. <laughs> we haven't figured it's what that is a parallel
3: universe. A parallel universe. So...
2: Now, that's the thing, too. If you're from the fifth dimension, we get rid of you by having you say Levitus backwards.
3: Three times? No, just, just once. once. It's like saying Mixus Pitilic backwards. Mixus Pitilic. Yep. I remember that from Superman.
2: Yes. There are several ways to pronounce it. And... It's Mixus Piddalick is one way. Mixus Piddalick is another way. And when they did a Mixus Piddalick episode of the Supergirl TV show, they did it Mixus Piddalick.
3: Don't, don't tell me. Don't, don't, I haven't watched the whole series yet. I've only watched the first couple of shows, so don't
2: spoil it. <laughs> I'm only telling you that okay. the guy who played Cyrus the Genie on Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, a British actor, appears as Mr. Mixus Piddalick. I will say nothing else about it It's a fun show, and I recommend that you look at it. Because, he's first of all, he's terrific. When he gets on there, he's a stage actor, too. So you know that when he gets up there, he dominates it.
3: Okay. I'm watching it. It's actually in my queue, and I watched uh, the first episode already, and part of the second. And I'm liking it. Is this the second season? But I'm still watching the first. Oh, you you haven't seen the episode where they introduce Superman. Thanks. (laughs) That's also no, have, been publicized, I haven't really seen, who he is and everything. No, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen anything but the first episode and part of the second. But I liked it, and it's it stayed in my queue. I usually, after I watch one episode, most shows, I watch one episode, sometimes two, and say, okay, I don't have the patience to watch 13 of those, or 16, or whatever, 10. But this one stayed, so I think Supergirl might be okay.
1: I
2: like it. It's fun. I think it's really nicely done. And the lead performer, Melissa Benoist... Does really good performances. She also has that gift for comedy, and, and she, she can probably noticed in the first episode. And
3: she can fly. I really like
2: that. Well, yeah, that with tight ropes and everything else, that's painful doing that. But the flying scenes aren't bad. I say look at both seasons, binge watch if you can to catch up. And one of the actors you saw like for three seconds. In the first episode, Dean Cain, who played Superman right, in Lois right. and Clark, he plays right. her foster father, Jeremiah yeah. Danvers. Oh,
3: that's cute. That's cute. I didn't and then, notice
2: that. And then that's in the first episode, so you got to know that. Helen Slater, who played Supergirl in the 1984 movie, which was a horrible movie. And also she played in Ruthless People, where she really showed her comedy chops. She plays Supergirl's foster mother, Eliza.
3: Yes, I knew that.
2: That you know. I forgot
3: forgot that she was Supergirl in the 80s or 90s.
2: (laughs) Right. And just to show you, in the original Lois and Clark, they also introduced Mixia's Pitalik. And he was played then by Howie Mandel.
3: That is very funny.
2: Right. This time they have a serious actor doing it. But sometimes a serious actor can do comedy. You know, let's get away from that. We're talking about concentration about being able to focus on your work. Correct. Which is very important. So the book is called Working Smarter for for Mac Mac
3: Users. users. Correct. And that is also the website. I have a newsletter and uh, a blog there. And there are a number of good articles with uh, tips that, uh, in the past, there are tips that ended up going in the book. And moving forward, there are more and more tips that are in the book. But, you know, you can get a, a, a feel for some of this stuff by reading either the blog or the archive of newsletters and signing up for the newsletter. Well, you'll, you'll get tips like this every week or so. I hate to say every week because I'm just not that good at getting it out on a certain day every week. Sometimes it goes a week and a half between newsletters. And some days, some weeks it's uh, a week, but rarely is it more than once a week. I just don't have that much extra to say.
2: I want to talk about something else that you had to learn to do. Of course, you learn how to concentrate. And this is something that applies to a lot of people, not just involved in technology, but anything where they have to write something down. And that is, you were telling us that when the first Mac came out, there you are, a 29-year-old writer, and you could barely type. You were hunting and pecking.
3: <laughs> yeah, this week, my column at Mac Observer and at the Houston Chronicle uh, were on the ty- topic of typing because I couldn't type and I knew I was getting a Mac. So I, I went out and I learned to type uh, on a Smith Corona portable typewriter with a book of drills, you know, that that. Kind of like a typing tutor software program today, but it was just a book that you propped up next to the typewriter and you typed what it said and you timed yourself with a stopwatch. So yeah, and and it made all the difference in the world. It's like before that, when I sat down at a keyboard, everything took forever and it just didn't seem like I was being very productive at all because I typed like 10 words a minute. And when I uh, learned to type and could touch type 40 or 50 words a minute, all of a sudden, the tool became very effective and efficient for me. So one of my big tips has always this was this this is a tip that was in my first book, Dr. Macintosh, and it's in my current book. And I've never stopped believing that many people could benefit greatly by spending a little time drilling uh, on their typing skills because I think if you spend time hunting and pecking and looking at the keyboard, you really, aren't being focused and, and able to transmit thoughts from your brain to the, to the page or the, the file quickly enough. You know, mm-hmm. it's like my brain used to work way faster than my fingers, but I trained my fingers to get better. Uh, and because of that, now thoughts don't get away from me. Usually I can type as fast as I can think of the next thing I want to type but it's a good balance. It's not like it takes me so long to type this sentence that I forget what I wanted to say next. And I think for a lot of people, if, if you think about it, it's one of those things that can save you time all day long when you're filling out a form on the internet. Being able to type all that stuff in without looking at the keyboard saves you a lot of time. So does autofill. So does Autofill, and so does uh, a program such as the Text Expander. Of course. Or Type It For Me. Yeah, and that's the kind of stuff that's in this book. All that, all these things, and all that and more.
2: You know what the thing is, though, in using those programs? I learned early on it's sometimes easier just to type the thing than remember what the code is. The shortcut. It, Especially it if you've got a lot of them. Oh, well, the shortcut for this is That's this. exactly it. And was this for this? Oh, I entered the wrong one. I'll just type it.
3: It depends how long. You know, the longer the thing is or the more times a day you type it, the more incentive there is to memorize its little two-letter code. So like all of my email addresses that I use have two-letter codes. My home address has a two-letter code. My phone number, Uh, Things like that that I type a billion times a day. Uh, The the advantage is not just that it's faster, but it's accurate. I don't have to look to know that my phone number is right when I use uh, text expander. same thing with my zip code and my street number and, you know, and, and for what it's worth, I don't know if everybody feels this way, but I feel like typing numbers is my least accurate typing, you know, that I'm most more likely to make a mistake with a number when I'm touch typing than I am with letters and so things like phone numbers and addresses are even more you know critical um and you know mine at least i I rarely get wrong because uh text expander types it for me that's expansion Uh, for you i'm a big believer in it and you know the more times a day you uh, the titles of my last four books I know the shortcuts for all of those because each one is like hundred characters. That's a lot of typing every time somebody asks about something and you have to say, Oh yes, I answered that in my book, iPhone for Dummies, Tenth Edition. I'll
2: tell you how I learned how to type, and it's something a lot less organized. And you'll hear about in our next segment. And I type faster than fifty words a minute. But we'll get Good into it. Good for you. That. Good yeah, for you. Listen, I'm crazy. And meant to stay that way. I'm Gene Steinberg, he's Bob Levitis on the Tech Night Ally.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today.
4: You may own a knife, but if it's not an indie Hammered Knife, it's not a knife. From the forge, to the grinder, to the sheath, each indie Hammered Knife is handcrafted using God-given talent. The result is the sharpest edge a knife can have, and a true work of art. See a variety of knives and the complete knife kit at ihknives.com. Indie Hammered Knives. Custom Knives. Made in America.
14: Hi, I am Kelly Cook, the Chief Marketing Officer here at Kmart. Did you know that premature birth is the number one killer of babies in the United States, or that survivors can face a lifetime of serious health problems? Guess what? You can help. Join me and Kmart for the March for Babies walk. We'll work together to raise funds for research and programs that help the March of Dimes fight premature birth and birth defects, and improve the health of moms and babies. So start your team today at MarchForBabies.org.
4: Have you ever wanted a shortcut to getting the underground secrets to making money online and seriously grow your business? Whether it's a new business, a part time income, or an existing business, you have this incredible limited offer to get a copy of this Amazon best selling book on dot com success for free. Uncover the success factors to make your business ignite. Go to secretsignite.com. That's secretsignite.com. Get your free copy now. Go to secretsignite.com.
11: Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl. Live with Gene Steinberg.
2: So, if anyone cares, here's how I learned how to type. I was 11 years old. I wanted to type. So my mother rented a typewriter for me. She didn't want to buy one. She didn't know how long I'd keep it. So, okay, I'll rent you a typewriter. Let's see what you do. So I played around with it for a little bit. And then I said, where do I put my fingers? And she had worked as a clerk typist. And she said, here. And I did it a few times and started typing away based on what she told me. And I sort of figured most of it out. And then I think a few years later, I took a real typing course, a do-it-yourself kind, you know, on a book, you know, this Mm -hmm. before the Mac arrived or was even a glimmer in the eyes of anyone in Apple. It was even before Apple existed. But that's how I learned how to type. So I type in a pretty much traditional way with a few variations. And I won't mention the speed, but it's pretty fast. And I'm mostly accurate.
3: I say in the book that if you're not typing at least 40 or 50 words a minute, you really owe it to yourself to spend a little time uh, working on your typing chops, which will help you in everything you do all day when you're sitting at your computer. You know, you'll just save time every time you're at your computer because the majority of what you do with your computer has to do with inputting through the keyboard. I mean, yes, there's the mouse and clicking, but... Most of the data you put in goes in through your fingertips on the keyboard. And so if you can put that stuff in faster, you'll be done sooner. That makes sense,
2: doesn't it? What about situations where maybe you've worn out your hands? You have a situation that, for example, author David Pogue encountered.
3: Yes. Guess what? In my book, I will tell you not one but two ways you can use your voice to dictate to your Mac. One way is free. Another way costs money. Either one will work if your hands are sore, and really, the free one is a great thing to know about because it's nice to do every once in a while, even when your fingers feel good. Sometimes I like dictating the answer to an email message or a text message and messages on my Mac. Dictating sometimes feels better than writing. You know, there's times I just don't feel sitting down at the keyboard and writing. Another thing is I can stand up and dictate. I can't really stand up and type without cranking the desk up, which takes a while. And I can't stand that long. So I end up cranking the desk up to a standing position then back down. And I just read online that maybe standing isn't so great. Maybe these standing desks aren't that great an idea.
2: I don't know anymore. Remember, Captain Kirk sits in his chair when he dictates his captain's log. But yes. will we come to a point here where most people will dictate rather than type
3: i don't know but i have to say dictating has gotten a lot better over the years that i've been doing it on on apple devices it it really has improved greatly if you enable dictation in mac os 10 sierra and you um, just talk into the microphone of a macbook pro or an imac you get pretty good results, which is amazing. In the old days, you couldn't even try dictation without a special microphone, a microphone that rejected noise and was really good at capturing transients and stuff. And and if you remember, there was a time when you bought third-party dictation software, there was a list of of approved microphones that you could get, and nothing else really would work right. So it's not like that anymore. Uh, Today, really, you're good with the the built-in stuff which isn't great but it's good enough and that's just it the dictation that's built into sierra is good enough for most people most of the time and if you need more if you need better dragon still makes a pretty good product with you know all kinds of advanced features that you won't find in apple's built-in thing on the other hand uh the dragon thing is pricey isn't there going to be a point though
2: where you won't need the third-party stuff. I mean, right now you're at a point where the third-party stuff was some years back.
3: Yes, I think there will come a time when there'll be no reason for anybody but perhaps medical or legal professionals to buy anything to do dictation. I think that the built-in stuff is getting good enough that within a few years, very few people will want to buy something for dictation because – what you get, the, the freebie, will be good enough for most people most of the time.
2: There's a lot to be said about that. I have never been comfortable doing it that way. Probably because I've been typing for too long.
3: Yeah. No, I agree. and And it's been, for me, I'm trying to use more voice input probably because a lot of times I'm composing short things on my phone and it's a lot easier than using the small keyboard. So I've gotten... I've gotten a lot closer to using dictation since the iPhone's been around than I ever was able to with just the Mac. I don't do much dictating to my Mac, but I have started using it when I'm on my iPhone or my iPad more and more, and it's, you know, it's pretty good. I'm not comfortable composing anything longer than uh, an email reply, so I, I have trouble writing a column or a book using voice. There's a whole learning process. If I wanted to learn to dictate my books, it would take me a few weeks of doing it every day to get comfortable talking instead of typing. Because like you said, my whole life, to me, you know, if something needs to be written, I sit at the keyboard and my fingers just magically, you know, or as, as some famous author said, I just sit down at the keyboard and slice open a vein.
2: All right. That can go for that but not that much sometimes i think in writing the fiction book with my son the attack of the Rockoys, i think we had to do a little vein opening there to produce some passages but also he learned like how to type book. when he was maybe five years old
3: <laughs> i like that book
2: thank you we have a sequel did i ever send you the sequel
3: i think so i think i've read the whole uh, the whole trilogy
2: well no you haven't read the whole trilogy because only two of the books have been released so far
3: Right. Well, I've read the trilogy so far.
2: Okay, you've read t- two of the three parts of the trilogy, Attack of the Rockoids and The yes, Coming and of and the I Protectors. And we've got a third book it. that has gone through its first draft, and we're working on more, but Grayson's busy right now teaching Spanish students how to speak English in Madrid. And Ruffle. probably a lot more important than writing a sci-fi book.
3: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Although I, I tell you, the market for self-published work has never been better.
2: This wasn't self-published. The first was actually came out on a custom imprint from my agent at the time, the first book. So it went through a real publisher.
3: Wait, is your agent Swifty of Encino? Who? Swifty. <laughs> I'm kidding. Swifty was a famous Hollywood agent. Swifty Lazar.
2: Oh, Swifty Lazar. No. Our agent was Sharon. I have no idea what Sharon is doing nowadays. Hmm. I haven't heard from her in several years. I think she's mostly retired by this point because she was like five, six years older than I am. So she's probably retired. But, you know, she- and that
3: would be And that would be the better outcome, <laughs> given the alternative.
2: Well, you think of it this way, too. If I made enough money, From the books to retire, I wouldn't retire. Because what
3: would I do? Write more books. But see, that's just it. Writing books doesn't feel like work
2: to me. Depends on the book and what you have to do to get from here to there. Let's move to some other topics. Speaking
3: of things. What do you think of the new name for Apple's spaceship campus, which was announced yesterday? Please tell our listeners what you're talking about. Apple built this five billion dollar campus in in uh, northern California, up in Silicon Valley, somewhere near San Jose, I guess. Um, that's very futuristic. You probably have seen pictures of it, but it didn't have a name. It was just called the Apple Spaceship Campus, or Apple's new place, or something. For for since since it's been around, um, and Apple named it yesterday, and also announced um, that. Employees would start moving in in April, which is the first time we've actually heard when, you know, warm warm Apple bodies will occupy the building, um, and that it'll take the rest of the year, I guess, for the rest of the employees. You know, there's going to be like eight thousand or twelve thousand—I don't know—but thousands of employees, so it'll take a while. But it's a very cool campus, and it's all solar powered, and it's. You know, got some of the biggest pieces of glass ever made, and it's got lots of forest and parkland. And uh, so they they named it Apple Park. What happens when they have the earthquake? Then it will be apple pancakes. (laughs) Ooh, that was bad.
2: It was worse. By the way, Tim Cook, of course, will relocate his office there, too.
3: Yes, he's going to be one of the first to move,
2: apparently. Apple Park, folks. But Bob Levitis. How about Levitis Park? Rename See, his home. I, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
12: That's
11: R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Did you know there's a new group of water contaminants with unknown health effects? These emerging contaminants lurking in your water may include prescription over-the-counter drugs and new types of herbicides and pesticides. ProPure's improved Pro1G2.0 filter meets NSF 401 standards to help reduce these emerging contaminants. To find out more, visit your authorized ProPure dealer or ProPureUSA.com. That's
4: P-R-O-P-U-R-U-S-A dot
9: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
2: How about that? Levitis Park.
3: Yeah, Fat Chance. Call call Tim and ask him.
2: So be Fat Chance Park. speaking of
3: why did they spell it p-a-r-k shouldn't it be p-a-r-c like xerox park where they stole or i'm i'm sorry where they first saw many of the attributes that made the mac famous uh, Hmm, hmm, hmm. xerox park right
2: yes yes okay Okay.
3: did you you get your
2: macbook pro with touch bar to review yet
3: i did not i did not there's a black hole I I sent email messages. I'll send another one probably in a few days. And I hear nothing. So I may have to actually get on the phone with somebody. I don't know. You know, the thing is, it just doesn't... It's not that big a deal to me. It's a pain in the butt reviewing a laptop. And I've got so much stuff for for my column that it's not like having the laptop or not having it is going to make a big difference over the next few weeks. So I just kind of, all right, if they don't want to send me one, then I'll get, I'll look at the next one, but I'm not buying one, you know, and, and I don't, uh, I don't typically like to buy stuff and return it just so I can write a review, which I could do, I guess, but I just don't like doing that. Have so. you done that i did it with my my drone i bought a uh uh, a drone a parrot and uh i i bought it because i wanted it and then i thought i'll review it and then i can write it off and then after i used it for two weeks i decided it wasn't worth what i paid for it and i returned it but i wrote the review anyway but that's the only time i charge
2: a restocking fee or something
3: No, because I bought it at the Apple store and they are good. They are very good.
2: Well, there's a point there, but you have no desire to buy a MacBook Pro with Touch Bar. Why?
3: Uh, A, because it's too much work to write the review. I mean, it it really is. I have to to actually do a lot more research and, and prep to review a laptop than I do almost anything else I might review in a week. Uh, a column, you know, my weekly columns. And number two, if I buy it, that means if I'm going to return it, I got to keep everything together and I got to keep track of how many days until my window closes. And I think on a CPU, you do pay a stocking or restocking fee, although I'm not positive. Anyway, it's too much inconvenience. If Apple, if Apple uh, doesn't want to lend me one, and i'm not hot to review it anyway because uh, you know i've got enough stuff on my plate and and you're the only one that's asked me when my review of it's going to run so i I don't feel like my readers are clamoring for me to say something about it
2: well probably it's a a little bit too late now if you got the thing say in november it would make sense but right now people are speculating about the next model it doesn't matter
3: that's correct if they offered it to me at this point i might even say nah just put me on the list for the next one it's too late you know that model's not new anymore but there is an app and i forget what it was called but there's an app that you can run that gives you on screen the contents of what would be on your touch bar if your mac were one of these new macbook pros some little app let me see if i can figure out its name But it was kind of cool. I mean, you know, it lets you at least see what would be in that bar if you uh, were
2: to buy one of these. Why do you think so many people were upset over the MacBook Pro, though?
3: Well, I think there were battery issues. I don't know, but um, I think that there were battery issues at first. Maybe real, maybe not, but um, certainly exacerbated by uh, consumer reports and their, their, whatever you want to call it, faulty faulty methodology anyway
2: it's kind of crazy here you know you think if you're reviewing a notebook computer and you want to measure battery life you want to do it in a way that represents real world use that means the average reader should be able to get something in that range maybe not as much maybe a little bit better but you know it represents an average user instead they've got this cockamamie system that no book, no notebook they review presents a result that anyone will ever get. I mean, they got as much as 18 and a half hours on the fixed version of the MacBook Pro with the fixed Mac OS Sierra. They get 18 and a half hours. Other notebooks, they get 20. That's not real.
3: Correct. It's not real.
2: And, you know, their logic now is. Well, we keep doing it that way because it's consistent with our tests. So two wrongs make a right.
3: No. No. And and it really you know it's sad because until recently I I kind of uh, thought Consumer Reports was one of the good guys. I thought you know they buy everything they don't uh, they don't accept. Stuff from the manufacturer. They buy more than one if they need to test multiples to make sure their results are right. I thought they were pretty, you know, pretty thorough and clean. And it turns out they don't know much about tech. You know, and what they, they were did looking was kind for headlines. They've
2: done this with Apple a couple of times already.
3: Well, and where they have really kind of a test deliberately. You're
2: right. To focus on something, like for example, there were people who had. Problems with battery life. Now, part of it is on the 15-inch version of the MacBook Pro, you have dual graphics. So right. switching from integrated graphics to discrete graphics, a separate graphics chip. And if you're using the discrete graphics, of course, you're demanding more of the graphic chip. Thus, the battery life goes down. And the switchover isn't efficient, where it doesn't switch back. When necessary, you get shorter battery life. So Apple made changes to Mac OS Sierra to fix that. That's understandable. That's one of the reasons. The other, the bug that Consumer Reports encountered was where you use the develop menu to turn off caching, to test, as if people do that, to test the battery life. And it triggered some kind of bug that exacerbated battery use. I mean... What they did was dumb. And I don't think this is unusual with Consumer Reports because Consumer Reports has always been bad in its computer reviews as not expressing what the differences are in operating systems. Ditto for smartphones. You think from what they say, well, it's iOS, it's Android, it's just the same thing. You know, from two different companies. It's a Ford and a Chevy, not quite. Or it's Windows versus Mac. Same thing.
3: Yes, sir. Oh, well. I found that app. It's called Touche, the Touch Bar Sim emulator. It's called Touche from Red Sweater Software.
2: I tried it. It's not bad to try for about five minutes.
3: That's exactly right. It's something you can, you can run to see what would be in that bar. It's not very useful to click stuff on screen because it's in that bar. But if, you, if you're curious, it's uh, the closest you can come without going and buying one, right? Right, right, right?
2: Well, it's certainly a lot cheaper.
3: Yes. The price is right when it's free.
2: Are you at all disappointed by the fact that Apple has been slow to update Macs?
3: Yeah, I am. I feel like the Mac isn't getting the kind of love it deserves because the Mac is good. I mean, it's not just. If the iPhone were all there is, they should have changed their name to iPhone Inc instead of Apple Inc. But they're Apple Inc. And that to me means that they should be showing the Mac a little more love. I feel bad for people who need a professional level Mac. Because they have no idea what, you know, if there's a roadmap, if there's uh, something new coming from Apple, if they're going to abandon the old trash can design. You know, there's just so many unknowns and kind of a, a gap in, in truly pro level laptops, even. You know, we got more to come MacBook with Bob
2: Lovitus. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out live. <laughs> Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that www.lemkesoft.de slash gene (laughs) all right guys we're ready for our four season sunroom
9: and daddy's gonna get a rec room with refreshments
14: oh no we'll be sleeping under the stars mom what about the one with you know the fun
0: Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub.
9: Yeah! Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four season Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since
15: 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons Now.
9: To find out more, call toll-free, 800-848-6333. That's
12: 800-848-6333.
17: We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts
9: or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at techniteowl.com. That's news at owl.com Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowlcom slash radio. That's techniteowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes.
2: Our final segment with Bob Levitas. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live talking about the lack of updates to Macs. Part of it is Intel's fault. So, for example, people criticized Apple for not including the new Intel KB Lake processors with the new MacBook Pros, except the version they would use, the quad-core versions, weren't shipping yet. And now there's a story here. don't know if you follow this. AMD is shipping a new chip called Ryzen that supposedly matches or beats the latest chips from Intel for half the price. Now, it's supposedly pin compatible with Intel. I think that's part of it right there where you can basically use one or the other. I might be wrong.
3: Has Apple ever used an AMD uh, CPU? That, that no, they've you know used of? AMD graphics, of course. Yes. They
2: switch back between NVIDIA and AMD, but now... In the past, AMD made cheap chips that, you know, gave decent performance, but they were designed for cheaper PCs. Now they've got a high-end chip that costs hundreds of dollars less than Intel. And the benchmark so far, and this is stuff that's just shipping, so we don't know. The benchmarks so far show performance equal or superior to Intel chips costing up to $1,000 and more, and they're selling them for $500. Now, I don't know about you. This is an 8-core chip, by the way, (laughs) 8-core chip. Now, Apple's looking at this. I'm sure they're testing those chips. But imagine being able to reduce the price of like an iMac by a few hundred dollars. Yeah. Because they get the lower-cost chip with the same level of performance. Think about that.
3: You know, here's the thing, Gene, you've been around this business a long time, haven't you? Don't ask. Yes. And, and the thing is, periodically, we hear this from AMD, that they've got a chip that's an Intel killer at half the price, and that it's going to revolutionize the whatever market at that point. And it so far hasn't happened. However, I don't believe any of the previous ones were pin compatible where you could just swap them out and get good results. If that's the case, for real, then you should be able to toss them into an Apple product without any other modifications, which would be very interesting.
2: If it wasn't pin compatible, I don't know what kind of engineering would be required to change it. You know, I am sure Apple is sampling AMD chips quietly because they're dealing with the company. Yes. So we know they're sampling them. We know they're probably designing prototype motherboards with The pinouts, so that the pins are different. And I don't know, I haven't really researched it. If the pinouts are different, Apple's done that. They've done the engineering. It's not something that is hard to do because all the PC makers do it all the time. So there's no reason not to be able to use that chip really as a leverage against Intel, if nothing else. Say, look, here's a chip as good as yours. We save hundreds of dollars,
3: what are you doing for us? What are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do, Intel? Well, it's interesting. And uh, I hope that it leads to lower priced, faster, more capable Macs. Well, I guess we'll see. I, I think it's more likely that Apple will move the Mac to the ARM architecture. Don't they still own ARM?
2: No, they do not own ARM. I think SoftBank owns ARM now. Uh, well, SoftBank bought ARM they originally owned ARM. They might have a piece of the action.
3: I think they have a piece of it because certainly they've been using a lot of ARM processors in their, in their handheld devices. The cost of the chip in an A10
2: Fusion, in the iPhone 7, the A10 Fusion, is $26.50. Right. The high-end
3: an Intel AMD chip, chip is $500 and change.
2: The high-end Intel chip is $1,000 and change. Now, Apple is obviously paying a lot less because they buy... Hundreds of thousands large, of those chips. Large quantities, yep.
3: Whatever it is, the comparison is still valid. I mean, the, the like proportion between them, right? You've got the middle AMD at 500, and you've got Intel at 1,000. The point is, there's big gaps between these prices. There's a lot of, of playing room. And so, it's likely that Apple is seriously looking at all of these solutions,
2: well, Tim Cook says a roadmap for desktops, plural, which means if they're going to be new models, it's not just going to be the iMac. Maybe it's well, the Mac good. Pro, maybe it's the Mac Mini, because that's all there is, plural, more than one. So we have to see what happens there. With Intel chips, the performance boost from year to year is barely anything.
3: However, using the Intel chips gives them the added checkbox of can run Windows. Check. So now I suspect that the AMD chip would give them the same checkbox, but of course it's wouldn't.
2: x86 compatible, meaning that right. it would have the same level of compatibility. Supposedly, as an Intel chip, even if the pinouts are different, is Apple goes to their own ARM processor, they have to deal with the problem with Boot Camp and Virtual Machine. Can they do something on a chip level? That will allow them to emulate Intel instructions with minimal performance loss. And I don't know if me, that can do that.
3: Maybe they can. No, maybe not. But let me ask you this. If there were a user who would choose a faster machine that didn't run Bootcamp or Windows, if that were a, a different product line, you know, it might be the Macintosh Solo or Macintosh, Macintosh Hostel, Windows Hostel. But, you know, for me, I would, I would certainly buy a faster Mac for less money if it couldn't run Windows because I don't really give a – I've never run Windows on this Mac that I'm holding in my hand, and I've never run it on my last Mac. Two Macs ago I had it for a while because I was looking at a couple of things, but I certainly could live without it. And if that were my choice, if there were a line that, you know, gave you more power, better battery life, lower price, but couldn't run Windows, I would consider that a very attractive option. And I think there's a pretty big group that they, they don't even know what boot camp is.
2: I think Apple can find a way at a chip level, maybe, maybe they be throwing maybe everything through the graphics chip to emulate x86 instructions, not in software, but in hardware with minimal loss. So most people really wouldn't care.
3: Maybe, but the question is: Do they need to? Do they, Even if there's a performance loss to
2: some degree, I think it's worth it. That's I don't my know. opinion. You know, I don't know what, what the numbers are.
3: I don't know what the numbers are. I'd be curious to know what percent of Mac users find Boot Camp or Windows compatibility essential, and how many use it regularly, and how many would be perfect, or how many would answer the question, "What's that"? <laughs> Bob Levitis, please tell
2: our listeners where we can find more of the stuff you do.
3: Well, if you go to BobLevitas.com, which is shorter than WorkingSmarterForMacUsers.com, you'll get to WorkingSmarterForMacUsers.com, which is where all the goodies are. Uh, And again, don't forget, the uh, pre-order discounts will end on March 3rd. So order today.
2: Bob Levitis, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks for having
3: me, Gene.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
4: Have you ever wanted a shortcut to getting the underground secrets to making money online and seriously grow your business? Whether it's a new business, a part-time income, or an existing business, you have this incredible limited offer to get a copy of this Amazon best-selling book on dot-com success for free. Uncover the success factors to make your business ignite. Go to SecretsIgnite.com. That's SecretsIgnite.com. Get your free copy now. Go to SecretsIgnite.com.
18: Hello,
8: Belly Flattening Helpline.
14: Hi, is this the number for the free trial of that belly flattening breakthrough, Somabiotics?
8: It is. We're giving away free trials to anyone, male or female, who's over 18 and wants to flatten their belly fast.
14: I heard that Somabiotics is so effective, it can actually cleanse pounds of sludge from your belly. Is that true?
8: Sure is. Somobiotics is scientifically formulated with natural ingredients to flatten bloated bellies fast by cleansing pounds of rotting food and toxic sludge from your body. It even combats periodic heartburn and acid reflux, so you look and feel great. If your belly flattening results are too dramatic, simply reduce use to every other day.
14: Wow, I'm glad I called.
8: If you're over 18 and want to flatten your belly fast, call now for a free trial of Soma Biotics. 1-800-957-5396. But hurry, call now for details while they're still giving these trials away for free. 1-800-957-5396. If lines are busy, try again. That's 1-800-957-5396. Hi there, I'm Bob Eubanks. You know,
11: as part of Hollywood for a long time, I've seen my fair share of celebrities get in trouble with the IRS. Well, there's one name I trust— the Tax Defense Group. They're the most trusted name in tax. So if you owe more than $10,000 to the IRS, you really need to call my friends at the Tax Defense Group. Ignoring the IRS is not the solution. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, seize your home or business. But the Tax Defense Group could put a stop to all of that and tailor a program that would reduce your tax debt to pennies on the dollar. you got to love that. So don't just take my word for it. Call them find out for yourself they offer a 100 satisfaction guarantee and they're open 24 hours a day because they know that tax debt doesn't sleep either
7: call now for your free and confidential tax analysis from the most trusted name in tax call 800-361-6907
11: 800-361-6907 what's going to happen next You never know when you're listening to The Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
2: We have Jeff Gamet of the Mac Observer, and he tells me before we got started with the episode today, he was nursing a sick cat. Yes. How is the little one doing? Uh, the little one, this would be Nightshade. She, she's my 19-year-old cat. Night? Uh, how old is she? 19. Nightshade. Name
1: now, I've heard of Nightwing,
2: placed. a comic book character, but... Mm-hmm.
15: Well, okay, so Nightshade got her name from Nightmare Before Christmas, and and Deadly Nightshade is one of the things that Sally added to the soup that she was using to try and poison and kill the, the professor that, that was keeping her captive. And I just loved the the name and the jar that the Nightshade was in, and, and that ended up being the cat's name. But she slipped or ruptured a disc is what it looks like and it left her where she she couldn't use her hind legs at all and i wasn't willing to accept that she just needed to be euthanized so i uh, got a couple vets to check her out and one of the vets said oh yeah she's going to be fine it's okay here's what you have to do for the next six weeks so that she will be fine that means I'm spending a lot of time nursing my my 19-year-old cat back to health. But from over the course of, of a week, she's gone from dragging her back legs to trying to jump on the couch. So, huge improvement.
2: Okay, well, you're doing a commendable service there. I certainly hope she appreciates it. I'm sure on some level she does. Yes. Now, our dog is... Only five. Mm-hmm. He just turned five last month. And he still jumps everywhere, and he still doesn't listen. But he's teddy bear, so what can we do? I know. They're part of the family. Yeah, we let him get away with too much. Now, speaking of getting away with stuff, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you quickly if you're up to date with your pop culture and your comic books. And I was ragging on Bob Levitas just in the previous segment. He started watching... I guess on Netflix, Supergirl, but he's only in Season 1, Episode 2. So all the really interesting stuff, like the arrival of Superman and all the other things, he hasn't seen that yet.
15: I am trying so hard to get caught up. I am almost to the point where we actually get to see Superman. Okay, so you're just finishing up
2: Season 1? Yes, yes, I'm right at the end of Season 1. Okay, now, in... Last week's episode, they had one entitled Mr. and Mrs. Mixpitlick, or mixes Pitlick," depending on how you pronounce it. But it looks like they got rid of the Y when they did it. They called it mixes Pitlick, And the reason they called it Mixias instead of Mixias is it's easy, and I think it was hard for the cast to get down. Mixes Pitlick. Now, when they did it on Lois and Clark, I remember it being Mixias instead of Mixes. It's a tough name. Well, they never expected anyone to say it. You understand it was created in a comic book. And right. you can have any insane combination of letters. And nobody says mixes Pitalik or mixes Pitalik or anything like that. Nobody is expected to say that. Now in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, they had Howie Mandel play the role. Totally appropriate for the time. And the guy who played it now is a British actor who played Cyrus the Genie in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. And he's got British stage experience, so he has that presence. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's really good. But obviously you are about 15 episodes behind. I'll get caught up. You promise. Oh, yes. One sitting, you'll
15: just binge watch it. I might have to do two sittings because at some point along the way, I'm going to get hungry. That's no excuse. You can
2: always say I have to lose weight. I hadn't
15: thought of that. Well, there you go. One sitting.
2: All right. Well, you can't say anything about it until you've actually caught up because I don't want to give you spoilers. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of stories around about some of the changes in the characters this year and about the fact that Cat Grant, you know, is no longer around. Well, she was around for the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. But Callista Flockhart lives in L.A. with her family, and she, of course, is Mrs. Harrison Ford, who's very busy almost hitting planes, so she has to watch him. Yeah, no kidding. And, and so she hasn't had a chance to get up to Vancouver, where they're filming now.
15: Yeah, my my guess is that she'll just have a a couple more appearances this season, and and that's how they'll keep her in the show.
2: Exactly. And then there are questions about the James Olsen character. He's been in and out this season because he's become a vigilante, and you'll find out about that. It's been written up. Mm -hmm. He's become a vigilante, a masked vigilante. So there are those changes. And the Martian manhunter found a girlfriend. That's so sweet. Unfortunately, the girlfriend turns out... Well, I can't tell you that. Because there's always something there. Right, there's always something, and no spoilers. And Kara has a new love interest. And coming on the show in the next few weeks will be Kevin Sorbo, Hercules, and Terry Hatcher. I love that... These
15: actors that that we remember from from shows from the eighties and nineties are are being brought back, and, and of course Terry Hatcher. It's great to see her on the show because of
2: her involvement as Lois in The Adventures of Lois and Clark, and also she was in Desperate Housewives, mm-hmm. and one of her mm-hmm. co-stars in Desperate Housewives, Brenda Strong. Plays the leader of Cadmus. Mm-hmm. This evil organization that wants to get rid of aliens. And that gets into a lot of complexities because of who she really is and whose mother she really is. See, it, it just gets all twisted so quickly. Right. It's all dysfunctional family drama. No wonder we can't stop watching. Well, that's it. Very much very much into that in any case let's get into our world here for a while and see what happens now there's an article at the mac observer from your cohort john martellaro Mm -hmm. listing what seven reasons why apple should discontinue the mac pro yes
15: and uh, honestly, I expected so much negative backlash to this. Well, I guess if you're having backlash, it's negative. I was expecting so much backlash to this piece, and it didn't happen. By and large, people were uh, were agreeing with with John's reasons, and uh, I, I I find that fascinating. Uh, and I'll give you a little. Uh, teaser, John right now is mulling over a follow up piece the reasons why Apple should continue the Mac pro,
2: so he he's willing to fight both sides of this so he's going to be a politician and talk out of both sides of his mouth. Yes, but he'll be a good politician. I think the Mac pro was a misfire. I don't think Apple understood that a lot of the pros who buy those things, they want everything inside or a lot of stuff inside. And when yeah. you cripple it in that way and say, oh, just plug it in and make a wiring harness mess and only mm-hmm. have room for one processor, how could you do that? I know.
15: It's, when, when I look at the Mac Pro, I see a beautiful design from a technical standpoint that that is a beacon saying
2: Apple lost touch with their professional users. We'll have more beacons. I used to have an uncle who lived in a place called Beacon. That's another story. <laughs> Jeff Gamma is with us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
10: You are listening to GCN.
5: Being self-reliant is about being prepared and to do what you need to have your own source of renewable energy. Portable Solar LLC offers the most powerful EMP-hardened solar system on the market that is transportable from place to place, and the best part, it's very affordable. Contact them at PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875. Arc EMP-hardened solar generator, energy insurance for your family or business. Call Portable Solar LLC today or go to PortableSolarLLC.com to check out their patent-pending technology.
16: As a
14: doctor, I see patients every day who are losing their vision to age-related macular degeneration, also known as AMD. If you have blurry vision or blind spots, they can be symptoms of AMD, and if untreated, could lead to blindness. The good news? AMD can be managed with effective clinically approved treatments that may reverse some vision loss. For free AMD information, contact the Foundation Fighting Blindness at 1-800-BLINDNESS. That's 1-800-BLINDNESS. There is a cure in sight.
17: Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like.
13: Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death,
11: You never know what's going to happen next while listening to The Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg.
2: The beacon I was referring to, as opposed to the beacon you were referring to, Jeff Gamut, is beacon New York.
15: You know, now I kind of want that to become a thing. Like... It's beacon is our shining beacon. I'm not making that joke come together. Anyhow. So yeah, I think Apple lost sight of who their their professional users are. And they got too wrapped up in the design of the Mac Pro. It suffered for that. I mean, it is a beautiful technological mix. But but as far as a practical machine for pros, sales are are saying that, it, like you said, it's a misfire.
2: I think the big issue here is they didn't really properly look at the needs of the customer there. And Apple seems to always anticipate customer needs. And here somebody must have said to Jonathan Ive, oh, if you have lots of ports, people can just plug everything in. I guess. I that's, think they can yeah. come up with a Mac Pro that's not as big as the old model, somewhat bigger than this one, and has expansion capabilities inside. Apple mm-hmm. knows how to miniaturize. Obviously, an expansion card is a fixed distance. An extra processor takes a fixed amount of space. Mm-hmm. But Apple knows how to do this. They don't have to make a 45-pound behemoth or something. They can make something that weighs 20 pounds. They can, but I'm seriously questioning if they
15: will. The customers that Apple seems to be catering to are people that need a desktop machine that's not necessarily a high-end Pro system, although you can do a lot with an iMac. I mean, I'm impressed with what I see people doing with iMacs. But I think Apple sees... The, the overall high-end computing market as a mobile platform now. And I think that's why we got the new Mac Pro, or excuse me, MacBook Pro, but we still haven't gotten a Mac Pro. And I think part of it is also because what Apple wants from the processors that it uses in that computer, Intel has not delivered yet.
2: Now, I want to drop something in here that I read about the other day. AMD has a new processor family, Ryzen. Ever hear of it? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. The Ryzen sells for about half the price as the Intel Core processors. Supposedly, it can benchmark slightly faster. Okay? Okay. That's one thing. Now, I don't know if they're pin compatible or not. I mean, that's probably no big deal. PC makers have dealt with that for years. But I look here at things you could do with an iMac. So you have a quad-core processor, but Intel makes, I think, six cores, and it has an expanded i7 line with an eight-core processor. How about a special model of the 27-inch iMac, eight-core processor? And we know that Apple has probably tested AMD processors. Of course. So they can do it. An eight-core processor... In a 27-inch iMac, maybe two solid-state drives inside. How much of the audience for the Mac Pro would say, I'll get that iMac because it will also have graphics capable of adding two 5K displays, at least the LG one if it ever gets back into production. There would be a uh, a percentage, of course, that would
15: look at that iMac and think, okay, the, the iMac Pro, I like it, I'm going for it. But there's also the the part of the market that still hasn't been able to move over to the new cylinder. <laughs> I can't believe I just said new. The cylinder Mac. Let's call it the aging Cylinder Mac. There we go. The aging Cylinder Mac. And that's because they have specialized needs. And I mean, that's one of the things when you get into the serious high-end pro user, they have specialized needs. They have specific types of expansion cards they need for whatever it is that they're doing. Very high-end video cards and uh, and and other processor cards for whatever it is that they need to do and you can make an iMac with eight core processors and dual terabyte SSDs and support for for dual 5K external displays and you're still not going to draw in part of that of that market the same part that is still using their cheese grater Mac pros because
2: they have to have that expandability. Now, remember on the cheese grater, you can upgrade the processors on it. Mm -hmm. The other thing to bear in mind, though, is Apple could, with this iMac Pro, offer more USB-C Thunderbolt 3, so they could add expansion boxes, breakout boxes with the extra cards in it. It wouldn't be crippled. Sure. That yeah, so that's an option as well. It's an option that people haven't
15: seemed to've been that excited about with the Mac Pro. So I don't know if they would jump into that with an iMac. The the other issue that I see is that a lot of the high-end pros, they don't want the core series processors. They want the Xeon series processors, which is what's in the Mac Pro right now. They would like to see Apple move to that line of processors, or, or move to a newer version of that line of processors with the Mac Pro?
2: I think a new lineup is coming out soon.
15: Even if Apple went with an old lineup of Xeon processors, they would still be
2: doing much better than they are with the aging Mac Pro. Yeah, and that's also another problem, too, that Intel's processor refreshes aren't that substantial, not that much faster. And they're always late. Like, you would have thought the Xeons coming out real soon would have been out by last fall. Right. And then you have the problem with availability.
15: When Intel releases new processors, they're available in, in limited quantities. And so you have to wait for them to ramp up. And that's why I believe Apple went with the Skylake processors in the in the Touch Bar MacBook Pro as opposed to the Kaby Lake processors. It's because even though they had come out, they're just not available in quantity.
2: Well, the quad core hadn't even shipped yet when the Mac Pro, MacBook Pros came out. Yeah, see, there you go. Good point. So this is a big problem. But now that we have the new AMD chip, which supposedly ships on the 2nd of March... Mm-hmm. The high-end eight-core Ryzen processor retails to customers at $500 thereabouts, and I think it's $1,050 or thereabouts for the equivalent Intel processor. Now, obviously, Apple's buying hundreds of thousands of them, so they'll pay probably half that price. Imagine if Apple could drop two, three, four hundred dollars off the price of a new Mac by going to AMD. Or even keep the price the same,
15: but give us a lot more for that money. I'd be happy either way. And and I'm saying that as someone that's very pleased with the Touch Bar MacBook Pro. I have the 15-inch model sitting on my desk right now, and I think it's a great machine. But like so many people, I would love to see Apple do more.
2: That is kind of interesting here, that the fact is that the reaction to the MacBook Pro with Touch Bar is so polarizing. I mean... Oh, yes. I was talking to our friend Bob Levitas, Dr. Mac, and in addition to just catching up on Supergirl, he said he's not really that interested anymore in reviewing a MacBook Pro with Touch Bar, that Apple hasn't decided to send him one yet, and besides, he probably wouldn't buy one. Or if he did, it wouldn't be right away. You know, I, I totally get it, and... Uh, for me,
15: buying a new computer is a matter of needing a new computer at a specific time and buying the best machine I can in that window. And uh, and I and I desperately needed to replace my MacBook Pro and I I was sure based on the rumors and leaks that we were seeing that we'd have a MacBook Pro very soon. So I did hold off a little bit and then the new model came out. I looked at the specs and I thought, okay, th- these specs are a big enough jump from the MacBook Pro that I have today that it's time for me to buy. And it, it didn't matter that there's a touch bar. As part of the package, it was the other specs that that mattered to me. And I bought the computer. I love it. Turns out I use the touch bar, and it's a it's a handy feature for me. So I'm very pleased that that I have this new model. But you're right, it's a very polarizing thing.
2: Just to let you know, by the way, officially Microsoft has released version of Office 2016 for Mac with touch bar support. It has been in beta. Anyone can get Mm -hmm. the Microsoft betas, you know, if you're subscribing to Office 365, just put yourself in the beta channel if you want to see it. Anyway, we got more to come. With Jeff Gambit, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN.
12: Attack of the Rockoids and the Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com.
18: This is Dan Pillot. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you There's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com.
4: You may own a knife, but if it's not an indie hammered knife, it's not a knife. From the forge to the grinder to the sheath, each indie Hammered Knife is handcrafted using God-given talent. The result is the sharpest edge a knife can have and a true work of art. See a variety of knives and the complete knife kit at ihknives.com. Indie Hammered Knives. Custom knives. Made in America.
9: Welcome back to the Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
2: So on the Tech Night Out Live, we have Jeff Gammett of the Mac Observer. we start off our discussion with the Mac Pro. Whether we need one, whether maybe an iMac Pro, a souped-up configuration of the iMac would satisfy the needs of the many, but not the needs of the few or the one. I see what you did there. Well done, sir. Isn't that clever? That was wonderfully clever. He was not going to tell us the truth, that it was really dumb to use a Star Trek reference. I mean, Star Trek references, you know, I mean, after a while, you just want to engage. (laughs) Yeah, you just want to make it so. <sighs> Scotty, beam me up. By the way, he never said, beam me up, Scotty. It was always Scotty, beam me up or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because he had to address the name before the function. Right. And uh, and and yet, here we are, beam me up, Scotty. Right. That's what it is right there. Let me ask you a question here. Okay. We talk every so often... And not much in recent years about security on the Mac. And now we're hearing a few things going on here. Some new stuff like ransomware, where you could have your files encrypted permanently until you pay through the Piper. What's yeah. that about?
15: Okay, so so the, the quick ransomware primer is that there, there's this subset of malware, meaning software that you don't want on your computer, that someone's going to trick you into putting on in some way, and it does a bad thing. So that's malware. Ransomware is a subset of that, where the bad thing that it does is it takes all of the data on your computer and encrypts it into a file so that you can't get at it. And then whoever... Did this to you, they expect you to pay money, a ransom, for the code that unlocks your encrypted data. This happens a lot through software that people are downloading through software sharing sites, software pirating sites. And uh, it's something that can happen. It doesn't matter if you're a Mac user or a Windows user. This is something that can happen to you. Because if if you're tricked into installing the malware, there you go. You've just been tricked into installing it. There's a new one out for the Mac that it's just been making the news in the past few days. And it's a ransomware that was written pretty poorly and is probably an indication that whoever did this... Is not very experienced with malware or certainly with ransomware, because the what it does is it takes the user directory on your Mac and it encrypts it into a ZIP file. It has to, to to make the encryption happen. It has to generate a random token number that that's the key. So it does that locally, meaning on your computer, encrypts everything, and then leaves you with a note saying, "Here's." what's happened and here's the Bitcoin wallet that you need to put this much money into and then you'll be able to decrypt all your files the problem is that special randomly generated token number never gets sent anywhere so the the people that created the malware forgot to create a way to get the keys so that they can sell them back to you So if you get hit with this, your files are encrypted, you're paying money, and then you don't get anything for it because they have no way to unlock your files. So let's
2: just summarize this. You pay through the piper to Mm -hmm. decrypt your encrypted files, and they can't give you the encryption code or just say, to hell with you. Yeah, Yeah, they cannot give you the encryption
15: code, and they are effectively saying, to hell with you. Now, luckily, no one has paid yet, and that's a good thing. Right, right now, this special r- ransomware, and I'm using special very loosely, clearly, is in uh, an app that will um, trick you into thinking that you're hacking through the serial numbers for uh, a specific Adobe product. I believe it's Adobe Premiere Pro or Microsoft Office. So, if you're not out looking on BitTorrent sites for this special cracker tool to, uh, to work around having to pay for an Office or Premier Pro license, you're going to be okay. Because, you know, it's just not being used for anything else. And the easy way to avoid this, don't steal software.
2: That's it. And, and you'll be safe. So, this all happens. These are all the consequences that happen when you're trying to do something Funky and remember with Adobe Software too it's all in the cloud now. you have to mm-hmm. subscribe you can't buy it anymore it's subscriptionware so that's how they right. take advantage of you. oh, you don't want to pay that subscription fee we'll let you have this ah. yeah, just use this in it,
15: and it cracks the code in Premiere Pro, so you never have to pay now you know and there's some people that that look for stuff like this because they genuinely feel like they they need to be able to, to crack the software. Like, like they're thinking, I really need to use this, but I simply can't afford to pay for it. Therefore, it makes it okay for me to go get the software uh, hacking tool. And other people, they feel like Microsoft or Adobe is screwing them. It's okay for them to screw back a little bit. And, and what it comes down to is... If you feel like like you want to use these tools, but you have no interest in paying for them, then see what other tools you can find that will give you the functionality you need at the price you want to pay. And and typically, it comes down to people want a perpetual license like we used to have, as opposed to a, uh, uh, a subscription license like we're seeing with Office and Creative Cloud.
2: Well, I had always wondered here how well that would work, but... Adobe is fairly much alone in doing this. Microsoft does offer a subscription version of Office, but they still have a retail product. I like the subscription for lots of reasons. I'm getting five licenses. So it's a business to me, even though it's a personal license. So my co-host on the Paranormal Show, the Powercast, he gets Office. My son gets Office, and I get Office, so that's already three licenses I'm using. Mm. And each of us gets a terabyte of storage for OneDrive from Microsoft for ten bucks yeah, a month. I mean, it's you're a good getting deal. something for your money. Absolutely, I think Microsoft does a good deal. Now Adobe is what, like fifty dollars a month for the full Creative Cloud. Probably, considering what you're getting, it's not a bad price. I mean, if you're making money. Six hundred dollars a year to keep your software up to date is probably not a lot, and maybe that's one of the justifications for them to keep it going. Plus, they know they'll always get money from you. You know,
15: it's—I—I I know the subscription software thing is a, a serious point of contention for a lot of people. My feeling is this was a smart move for Adobe the subscription software model at the at the enterprise level is something that's been around forever and it's at more at the consumer level that we've we've really gotten used to perpetual licensing and for a company a, a company that's making professional software for professional users they really need to look at their business model otherwise they're just kind of out of luck they're they're I mean they're not going to bring in the money that they need to bring in because making something just even Photoshop, maintaining Photoshop is insanely expensive. And then there's the whole rest of the of the Creative Cloud suite. So by switching to a subscription license model, they can maintain a revenue stream that's more appropriate for what the business is. Now the so that's what they get out of this. What the users get out of it is always updated software and uh, uh, and so patches and new features that can come out far more quickly than with a perpetual license model. Because with perpetual license, you have to save up a bunch of features to make people feel like it's worthwhile to
2: pay for an upgrade. Let's go into with- more of that. Jeff Gamut of the Mac Observer. We're talking now about cloud software licensing. More to come on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> neighbors i want to tell you about my favorite graphics app it's the award-winning graphic converter you know graphic converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your mac join over one and a half million loyal users for this swiss army knife photo editing app it gives you all you expect from a top flight image editing app with tons of features and most important. It's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to wwwlemkeysoftde slash gene. Let me spell that www.lemkesoft.de
14: If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000, but the most you'll get from government benefits is $255. How will your family pay the difference? We can help. Our senior plans start as low as just a dollar a day and pay up to $30,000 for a funeral and other final expenses. That's 800 340 5528. Again, 800 340 5528.
4: You may own a knife, but if it's not an indie hammered knife, it's not a knife. From the forge to the grinder to the sheath. Each indie Hammered Knife is handcrafted using God-given talent. The result is the sharpest edge a knife can have and a true work of art. See a variety of knives and the complete knife kit at ihknives.com. Indie Hammered Knives. Custom Knives. Made in America.
9: We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at owl.com That's news at owl.com Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at techniteowl.com slash radio. That's owl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. So Adobe
2: Creative Cloud the advantages you're citing Jeff Gambit of the Mac Observer. Things like regular upgrades. So you don't have to wait for a reference release as the new features come out They just roll into. Production. They don't have to wait. There's no situation here where you buy the product and then a year and a half later, oh, we got a new one, send us your money. And I guess if you're paying a little bit every month, it doesn't seem like suddenly having to pay $600 or $1,000 for an upgrade, it doesn't seem quite as onerous. So I could see the value there, Mm -hmm. assuming that we always get regular upgrades. that's been the argument for these reference releases from Quark and I think even from Adobe over the years, where you pay the full price for an upgrade and you wonder if all those features were really, really worth the bother. Microsoft has done it too. But now that Microsoft has a $10 license, which I think most people outside of businesses can use for five licenses for Mac or Windows mixed, mm-hmm. plus five licenses for the mobile versions, all that stuff, you know, there you're getting the upgrades as they come out. You don't have to wait for Office 2017. The features are probably already there. Right. And, uh, and when some new feature comes out, it can
15: just get pushed right out to you. And if it has an impact on file compatibility, that's okay, because everyone else has it too. So you don't have to worry about your files that you're working on today not being compatible with the service bureau or printer that you're working with next month. It's, it's all going to work. Now,
2: well, there is a the guarantee there too that everybody, because of the cloud license, is on the same page. You have the same version. You don't have a possible incompatibility. Right. Yeah. But, you know, the other side of this
15: is that there's a lot of people that, for various reasons, do not want to get into a subscription software model. And, and that's okay. If that's not for you, then that's not for you. And that's that's totally fine. And that's why there's products like um, uh, Affinity Photo and Affinity Designer and Pixelmator, you know, there's all these different apps that are out there that you can get for low cost and, and in some cases, no cost, that will give you compatibility with the Adobe platform or the Microsoft platform. So you can get what you need, which is compatibility, on the terms that you want, which is perpetual license or free. So there, there are options, and yes, they're not exactly the same as Office or, or Creative Cloud. But you, you can get what you want. I'm okay either way. Find, find the model that works best for you, the software that works best for you, and then figure out how to, how to make that work for your budget.
2: What I also see here when it comes to this is that this also creates the climate for Photoshop competitors right. to like have a Fun. chance where you look at what you're getting and say, you know what? I don't need all that stuff that Photoshop is doing for me. Maybe there's something cheaper. Maybe I can use Graphic Converter, which converts a whole host of formats and then also has some editing tools or one of the other apps. I can use them instead. Mm -hmm. I'm not stuck into Photoshop. And for the price of one month or two months, Photoshop only, not all the Creative Cloud, for that price, I get something I own. Perpetual License.
15: And here's a little secret for Adobe Photoshop users. Most people don't use any more than say 10% of Photoshop's features because they know what they need to do and that's the part they learn. You can buy Photoshop Elements. I want to say it's like $80. So it's a it's a perpetual license and it's Photoshop for the most part, with an easier to use interface on top of it, so you can get the features that you need in Photoshop, and probably more for under a hundred dollars, and you're paying a perpetual license instead of subscription, Photoshop elements. And, and most people have no idea that it's a pretty much just full- on Photoshop, just with a different interface.
2: But how many features do you give up to get elements? You know, if if you're someone that
15: is concerned about the features you're giving up, then you're probably using enough of Photoshop that you should be paying for the Creative Cloud version. But for, I'd say, 80%, 90% of the people that are using Photoshop,
2: Photoshop Elements has all the features they need. So much about software licensing. Let's go back to the security thing again. And the reason is because I notice here... And this may be because I'm running the iOS 10.3 beta mm-hmm. get a request here. A little notification badge for settings. And it's about two-factor authentication.
15: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: They're pushing for that, aren't they? Heavily. Apple has been taking
15: us down the two-factor authentication path for quite a while now. So the fact that you're seeing this more in the 10.3 beta is no surprise. Just uh, a couple days ago, Apple released an update for the iTunes remote app on the iPhone that adds two-factor authentication support. So th- so Apple is pushing this out as... as best they can to everything they have and i'm okay with that i mean the the idea that i need to do two factor authentication to be able to to turn music on and off from my iphone or through my iphone for my mac is kind of crazy but you know that's okay if we're going if we're going in with two factor authentication let's go all in and do, do i need to explain two
2: factor authentication in case people don't know what that is you better because okay. remember we're reaching an audience here not just of IT managers, but regular people. Okay, so uh, for, for those of you that aren't familiar with
15: two-factor authentication, the, the way this works is uh, you're used to entering a password or some sort of passcode to access you know, your bank account or get into your iPhone or access some service. And when you take that to two-factor authentication, now you're using two things. Some something you have, and then and then something that that you can get. So you have the known and unknown elements that come together. so to to make that okay, so here's an example. You decide that you're going to use a new iPad with your iCloud account. And previously, you would just type in your password and you'd be done. Now what you do is type in your password, and then on your iPhone or your Mac or whatever other device, you get a notification that something's trying to log into your account. Is that okay to do? And if you say yes on that device, it gives you a code. And that's the new piece of information that becomes the second factor in logging in. So now you take that code that you just got, type that in, as well, you've used your password, a special code that was generated just for that login, and now you're in. So what that does is that keeps people that, that might be able to figure out your password from being able to log into your account because they have only half the information they need to make that happen.
2: Let me talk more about this with Jeff Gammett, two-factor authentication. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out
14: Live. <laughs>
6: What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene
11: Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. No, 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 no,
1: no, no, no,
2: factor authentication. <laughs> All right. Another way is common, the way it works is you enter, say, your passcode or your password on your Mac. Mm-hmm. And then the second factor is it sends you a text on your yes. iPhone or your smartphone in general. It doesn't have to necessarily be Mac-specific. Now, I remember the first time I used two-factor authentication with a business bank account about 10 years ago. And they gave me this card. And this card would flash a number. Don't ask me how this worked. And that number had to be entered in addition to my password stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. my first exposure. Yeah. And, uh, I think uh, if a you have both exposure. your devices handy, and I understand, you know, a thief could break into your Mac and steal your iPhone or something, or sit there at gunpoint and force you to use it. I understand nothing's perfect. But for most people, this adds an extra security especially if somebody breaks into one of your accounts, like one of my online store accounts somebody tried to access the other day and I was getting a warning about it. So I turned on two-factor authentication then and there. A smart move. Yeah, I use two-factor
15: authentication with all of my email accounts. I, I use it with every online account that I can. And for the ones that don't support two-factor authentication yet, I'm using a password management application to create ridiculous passwords that I will never remember and will be insanely difficult to crack. And then when those services enable two-factor authentication, then I'll use it there too. I mean, the great thing is if someone's trying to hack into your email account and they don't have the second factor the you know the special code that gets generated, they can't get in. I mean, if they get your computer and your iPhone, once someone has your physical hardware, then all bets are off. But for those people that are trying to remotely get in to your to your different accounts two factor authentication is a great thing so i' I'm really glad that Apple is moving forward in a in a big way with this
2: now, I do know that the email system we use. is a company called PolarisMail.com. They're in Montreal and they've just been updating their spam protection system. It's really, really good, better than any I've used anywhere. And they have two-factor authentication on accounts. I'll recommend them. I use their services. You can get email accounts for as little as a dollar per account. I think it's like a minimum of five or something or 10. I'm not sure. And you get enhanced accounts for $2 each for each email address. Nice. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And they're pretty solid. I mean, you know, we have people who might want to use Google or something for their email, but here nobody's looking at your data. Yeah. You know, it's nice to have that control
15: over over your own data. It's also nice to know that the services you're using for your data are doing as much as they can to make sure that your data stays safe.
2: I agree. This is... Definitely important. I think it's important if you're a small business to get a separate email account, because a lot of the time you'll get email accounts with your web hosting package, but they're Mm -hmm. very basic. I mean, you really want the features. You want somebody who's going to control your spam protection, all that.
15: Right. Yeah. Server-side spam filtering. that's That's a really important thing. Otherwise, your your smartphone is just loading up with all the spam email every time you check.
2: But like I said, you know, they do offer entry-level, I call it, email accounts from some of these web hosts. And unless you really spend time to fine-tune the server-side spam protection, it's not going to work so well. So you either have to buy an extra level of spam protection or use a dedicated commercial email account i mentioned polaris mail there are other companies too like rackspace and others that Mm -hmm. offer it namecheap has a really really good plan for business level email with good spam protection but that's what you might want to consider because like i said it's usually you know i don't know about the ones that have exchange accounts for six to ten dollars a month i think that's ridiculous a dollar or two a month is fine unless you really need microsoft exchange
15: yeah, and fewer and fewer people are needing exchange now.
2: Let's talk about one or two other things before we let you go in the wind and catch up. Got to catch up on all those pop culture things, mm-hmm. all your favorite superhero shows on the CW. Projections about the next iPhone. I thought this is ridiculous, it's premature. So last year, let me give you this scenario, and I wrote some of this up at technighthow.com my blog. So last year, they said the iPhone 7 is not going to be much of an upgrade because it will look pretty much the same as the iPhone 6S. Wait for the iPhone 8 or whatever it's going to be this fall. Mm -hmm. So you hear the feature said. Okay, the iPhone 8 or whatever it's going to be called will have edge-to-edge OLED display, some 3D sensors, wireless charging. Oh, wait a minute. Samsung had that already. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a bad upgrade because those features other companies had. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah, this this sounds like every year. It doesn't matter what Apple
15: is going to do. People are going to, to say, well, someone else already did it. Therefore, whatever Apple's doing is bad.
2: Well, therefore, huh? Apple should not have made an iPhone because BlackBerry had smartphones and Samsung and right. other companies and Nokia. They shouldn't have done it. And Palm. All right. So Apple shouldn't have done it. Apple should not have had an iPod. Why? Because there were already digital music players out there. Tablets, well, you know, they had tablets already before the iPad came out. Mm-hmm. So you see, whatever Apple should do, they should not have done, I guess.
15: That's the logic that some people use. Yes. It's it's important to to remember, though, that what Apple does is watch what the rest of the industry is doing look at what sort of things their consumer market is doing and then they figure out where to go with that so in the case of say uh, uh, wireless charging okay this is something that we've been able to do in some form for quite a while with different devices I mean I I bought an adapter pack for an Apple mouse a few years ago, so that I could do inductive charging with that, which, which is wireless charging. Just set it on a plate, it charges up.
2: So this isn't new stuff. You know, I was looking up interviews. We did an interview with a company out here in Arizona, in Scottsdale, Arizona, in the Air Park Industrial Park. They offered mm-hmm. wireless charging. This is like 2007 when I interviewed them and they showed me, look, this is the first iPhone and you put our custom case on it. And now it's capable of wireless charging. That's how they did it. It wasn't the manufacturing of the product itself. That came later. It was putting a custom case to enable Mm -hmm. it to go onto this charging plate. Now, of course, that's built into the device. But if Apple's going to do this and have wireless charging, aren't they going to consider something different? I don't think that's anything special or new. I would think um, Apple would want to try to find a scheme where you can just have real wireless charging, which is no connection to anything.
15: Yeah, contactless charging. Exactly. And, and I don't think Apple's going there. And the the reason I think Apple's not going to contactless charging, at least not yet, is because the the... The contactless charging options that are available right now are not very efficient. so you're you're looking at fifty percent efficiency at best, which means that that it takes twice as much power to charge your device. And you can't be very far away at all. So we're we're talking about like inches uh, as opposed to being able to walk in a room and your iPhone starts charging. And then there's also regulatory hurdles that you have to jump through. And right now, the the government is, is pretty conservative about the contactless charging systems. The concern is that someone's going to design something that will radiate enough energy to to efficiently charge a device and cook you at the same time. So you want to
2: make sure that you're not actually killing your customer base before we get cooked by the network mm-hmm. got one more segment with jeff gamut i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night out live
10: thank you for listening to gcn visit GCNLive.com today
2: as you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com host. Once again, that's technightowl.com host
7: You may own a knife,
4: but if it's not an indie Hammered Knife, it's not a knife. From the forge, to the grinder, to the sheath, each indie Hammered Knife is handcrafted using God-given talent. The result is the sharpest edge a knife can have, and a true work of art. See a variety of knives and the complete knife kit at ihknives.com. Indie Hammered Knives. Custom Knives. Made in America.
16: Message and data rates may apply.
4: Hi, I'm Frank Thomas. When I was playing ball, they called me the big hurt. But after I left the game, Mother Nature started putting a big hurt on me. I just couldn't stay in shape like I used to.
8: Turns out, it wasn't my fault. Once you hit 40, your body has less free testosterone,
2: and that can make it harder to get into shape. But luckily, I found out about Nugenics.
7: Nugenics is a unique man-boosting formula powered by testophen, a patented key ingredient clinically researched to help boost your free testosterone levels. Get a complimentary bottle now by texting PRIME11 to 42424. With Nugenics, you can feel stronger, leaner, with a lot more stamina and energy. And guys, she'll like the difference too. Nugenics is GNC's number one selling men's vitality product. Get a complimentary bottle now by texting PRIME11 to 42424. Nogenic samples are not available in stores. So again, text PRIME11 to 42424
11: You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
2: Okay, so this is something which I thought of when I consider the possibility of wireless charging or contactless charging, I like that, is we don't want to fry the customer. We don't want to have that customer microwaved, like your soup from Progresso. Take your Progresso soup and put it in a bowl and microwave it, or your oatmeal. I have oatmeal in the morning and I microwave it, but I don't want to be microwaved if I'm trying to charge my iPhone or iPad.
15: Right. If that were the case, just imagine the pants we would be buying, because people carry their phones in their pants a lot, having to buy pants that have radiation shields built in because you're afraid that you're going to get cooked by your phone while it's charging. No, that's not the path Apple wants to go down.
2: And- You know, I just thought of something here. Okay. The character in Supergirl, Guardian, you'll look that up, who Guardian is. The costume he wears- Would be a great shield. If you want to charge your new Samsung smartphone, you have to put on the costume. You know, maybe this is a new fashion thing. Still, I think
15: that while true contactless charging would be really awesome, that's not a path Apple's ready to go down yet. It's I think it's still too early in the game. Instead, Apple will go with the more traditional wireless charging where you have a plate that your phone sits on. I also think that when Apple does this, because based on what we're hearing, it seems like this is a pretty reasonable feature to expect in the iPhone 8, it's not going to be something where Apple includes the wireless charging base with the phone that would be an accessory. So you can charge it by plugging it in just like you do with an iPhone today if you go someplace, you know, like a lot of Starbucks, they have the the chargers built into the table so you can set your phone down in Starbucks and it'll charge up. If you really want to have a charging base for home, no problem just go ahead and buy one. We've already seen the technology in action. Apple's been testing it on us for a couple years now. It's called Apple Watch. So Apple knows what they can efficiently do with this form of charging. I think
2: that's what we're going to see in the iPhone 8. Well, all right. Don't think I would care or think about using it myself. I kind of think with an Apple Watch, it works. I don't see it with an iPhone. I mean, I just plug the cable in. What's the big deal? The
15: big deal will be convenience. So imagine having a phone holder in your car that lets you charge. So you can just set your phone in this, in this little cradle thing in your car. Everything else is wireless. So it connects through Bluetooth to the speakers in your car. Now your iPhone becomes a truly wireless device in your car because it can charge without plugging anything in. You can take calls, listen to music without anything plugged in. You go to coffee shops, you just set your phone down. Don't even think about it. A lot of people just put their phone on the table beside them in a coffee shop. The fact that you just set your phone down means it's charging. So it's a convenience factor, but it's not something that that's a necessary feature to make the phone work. I, I think it's a good idea to start moving into the wireless charging world with iPhones. I think this will be the year we see it, but it won't be a primary thing, but something you can take advantage of.
2: But you do expect to see an OLED display, at least in a high-end iPhone, right?
15: That's what it's looking like now. We're seeing enough leaks from the supply chain to say that we're probably going to have an iPhone with an OLED display. Uh, It's probably going to have wireless charging, so it sits on a base to charge. It's probably going to have a front-facing camera that includes special IR uh, transmitters and receivers, so it can do 3D mapping of your face, and that'll be for possibly a supplement to Touch ID, but also for other things like uh, mapping your face so that you can add it to games, you can take 3D selfies, you can create an animated avatar of yourself to use in chat apps. So it'll be a multifunction camera.
2: Okay. Well, it sounds to me like it'd be interesting. I just think here, though, that Apple is not going to look that good if they make the OLED display on a high-end model only. Reason being that other companies have OLED on their... Flagship smartphones, but not the most expensive models, all the models. I have a feeling this is going to be one
15: place where you'll be disappointed with Apple. My Jedi instincts tell me the OLED display will be limited to a top-tier iPhone, and then the rest of the iPhone line will continue with the LCD displays that we have today.
2: But eventually they'll filter down as they get production yields higher. That's the big deal with OLED, by the way. The reason OLED is so expensive on TV sets is because the yields aren't good yet. I mean, it's really, really slow. I think things like LCD and plasma even, they got that together pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
15: OLED, the yields just aren't there. Well, they aren't high enough to meet everyone's demand until a company can actually really meet Apple's overall demand, it's going to be something that they use as a premium feature.
2: Well, we'll have to see how that works. But the critics will have already have their arguments set in stone. Oh, this is nothing new. They've already had those features on other smartphones. Yeah, and that's the same thing we hear every year.
15: Every year, Apple releases a new iPhone that people love and continue to buy. If what the pundits were saying was true, Apple would have stopped making the iPhone years ago because no one would be buying it.
2: Well, there you go. There are predictions of a possible March event from Apple with new iPads and maybe another configuration for the iPhone SE, which seems strange. and might as well just update the innards. What do you think?
15: I think new iPhone SE will be coming this spring. It's it's about time for that to happen. I think that it will be the, the small screen still, and it will be essentially an iPhone 7 packed into a smaller frame. I think that we are due for new iPads, so that's coming as well. The March timeframe that we're hearing right now, I'm questioning that. I'm thinking that it will actually be April or May. When it happens, It will be the first product launch that happens in the new Steve Jobs Theater on the Apple Park campus, which is the big spaceship campus. It starts opening in April. I think that Apple's timeframe for these product announcements is going to coincide with that. I don't think that's the reason it's going to happen, just that it, it worked out well that they could do that. So not March, April or May. That's what I'm thinking.
2: All right. Let's see how that works. The first, the absolute first. So we'll see how that works out. I think March also is kind of putting it close, setting it close. The other thing is here, how is Apple going to handle the upgrades for Macs this year? And we can debate that, but we don't have time anymore. Jeff Gamet, please tell our listeners where we can find more of the stuff that you do. You can find what I'm doing along with the works of a lot of other really great
15: people over at MacObserver.com. And you can find me on a lot of podcasts like like right here, Tech Night Owl with Gene. You can also find me on the Mac Observer's Daily Observations podcast, the iOS show, the big show. I, I kind of get around the podcast circuit. And I'm on Twitter. I'm Jay Gamet. You can
2: find us on Twitter, too. We are Tech Night Owl. You can find my daily blog at technightowl.com. We also have a weekly newsletter, free newsletter, to which you can subscribe where you get a preview of my weekend commentaries on the weekend before they go live on Monday, right in your mailbox. You don't need two-factor authentication for those, at least. We also have a second radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. And this week on the Paracast at paracast.com, the one, the only, Jim Mars, who is the specialist on conspiracy theories. If You want to hear him on the PowerCast at PowerCast.com. And once again, the best way for you to support the Tech Night Owl Live is to subscribe to Tech Night Owl Plus. Go to plus, P-L-U-S dot dot com. The subscription rates start at just $1.49 a week. You get the commercial-free version of this show, better quality audio, and you help support the things that we do. Plus, plus.technightout.com for simple sign-up instructions. Jeff Gammett, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks for having me on. It's always a blast to get to talk with you.
13: The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the
7: Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.